Thank you. Am I on? Okay. Good morning. Happy fall, y'all. It's about time. Okay, so um, the title of my sermon is Go Change Your Clothes. Um, so you might be thinking that I might be talking about modesty, and that is a important subject, but it's not what I'm going to be preaching on. But I will say one thing about, or maybe two things about modesty before I move on to the deeper subject. Um, in my house, I have some rules about modesty, and they're pretty easy to remember because they're cute little sayings. Um, one is, raise your hands, touch your, touch your toes. If anything shows, go change your clothes. Okay. So that one's kind of cute. And then the other one is one that my mom taught me, and it's, pretty, it's even easier to remember. It's no guts, no butts, no coconuts. Um, so if you ever need to just have an easy rule to remember about modesty, that you can go with that. Um, so um, I hope I didn't make anybody cringe when I said those words because they might be a little embarrassing, but I think that Kyle and Pastor Angie may have gotten us over that um, blushing over what the Lord might have us to say. And... <laughs> I have to be honest, last week when Pastor Angie gave her word and the Lord told her to say a, a pretty strong word, um, kind of made me cringe a little bit, not going to lie. But then I cringed even more because I heard God say, yeah, you're up next. I'm going to have you say something pretty intense too. Um, and it's a, kind of more of a topic than a word. And what that is is, well, I'm not going to say it yet. I have to set it up first. But, um, but it's coming, so just be ready for it. Um, so I want to go, in, go dive straight into what I mean about cha go change your clothes first. And um, so I want to bring up the scripture I have for that, which is Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And I'll go ahead and read that, um, those verses. This is all the more urgent for you to know, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for, your, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. And put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, those are pretty good clothes, right? The, the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can put those on and we can take off those nasty, filthy clothes that the devil has. Oh, I didn't finish the scripture. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So control what you think about. So um, really to, to be able to change our clothes... We have to know who we are in Christ, and we have to know what we have access to, what he gives us. Amen. And then I'm going to talk about knowing what we have, what, realizing what we have, and then I'm going to talk about becoming who we are in Christ. So it's one thing to know who we are in Christ, and it's another to become who we are in Christ. So when, when he's in us, once we become saved and he's in us and we're in him, we have access to a lot he give, that he gives us access to. We have his cleansing blood in us. He gives us the power of his name. We have the mind of Christ available to us. We have his garments and his attitude, his residue and fragrance. And if we 
realize who we are, we have nothing to fear um, when we know what he has that he gives, that we have that he gives us. And if we are his hands and his feet and his mouth, then of course he's going to give us his power, his authority, his name, his attitude, his clothes. And um, Pastor Fran taught about the garments of the Messiah. And if you can go back and find that sermon, I, I, I'm not going to go into all, all of that. Um, but just go back and try to get, maybe even get her notes from her. But we represent him. We are his followers. We show others who he is. And we demonstrate his love and truth. We live in and through him. Amen. So in, in, in the prophetic, we've been taught to put on the garments of the Messiah. We put on his attitude when we speak for him. And I started doing this when I was learning in the prophetic. I, I had to mentally put on the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to speak for him. And when I did that in my mind, when I mentally put him on, separated myself from, from it, it gave me the boldness that I needed to speak up. And um, I just want to give an example of, um, of how I changed my clothes this week. So, you know, the devil has his dirty, nasty clothes, and then God has his clothes. And I realized that I had some dirty, nasty clothes on when my attitude didn't line up with Jesus. My attitude was, oh, I have so much to do and I have to preach. You know, and then God said, you know, that's not my attitude. My attitude is be excited. You, you don't have to preach. You get to preach. You get to team up with me and you get to share hope with other people. So that... That, that um, wardrobe changed really um, did something for me to be able to maybe overcome stage fright because that's the devil's garments too. Fear, anxiety, that's what the devil wants you to wear. And God said, I want you to have my boldness. I want you to have my garments and my clothing. Um, so when we put on the garments of the Messiah and we speak for him, it's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. We need to say it with love and compassion. The, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So when we prophesy, we are giving his testimony. And we need to do it from his heart, with his attitude. So more recently, God has been telling me not just to wear his garments and his attitude in front of the church congregation, but when I go about my daily duties Amen. and to my family, running errands, shopping, interacting with others, how I answer the telemarketers. Amen. Bold and fear fearless, yet humble and meek. We should be like him. He is our perfect example. So even when things look bad, we should walk around in victory because with him we have the advantage when we're in Christ and when we wear his clothes. And let's read 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let me pull it up in the phone. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All right, so when we begin this new life, we become new, or we should be becoming new. Let's go on to 1 Corinthians 2.12. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become... Okay, that's the other one. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Get into that. And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit. 
so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. All right, so we're going to look a little bit more into what God has given us and receiving His Spirit in us. So when we become who we are in Christ, we become new, we leave behind the old. And this is a process. So we're going to talk about the process of exchanging the old filthy rags for the new garments so we can exchange our old spiritual weakness for new strength in the Lord's mighty power. We can exchange a frail, broken belt of the devil's lies in exchange for strong, secure belt of truth. We can get rid of that rusty, crumbling breastplate of wickedness and get the shiny new breastplate of righteousness. We can throw out those old holy shoes of hopelessness in exchange for the strong, supportive running shoes of the gospel of peace. We can, we can throw away that shield of fear, give it back to the devil, and we can exchange it for a powerful shield of faith. We can take that helmet of damnation and receive the helmet of salvation. That rusty, dull, brittle sword of Satan's twisted words we can exchange for the sharp, double-edged sword of God's Word. The devil's clothes leave you naked, exposed, immodest, and vulnerable to danger and harm. Give the devil back his nasty clothes and rusty, broken armor. They don't fit you anymore. Exchange them for the garments of the Messiah and the full armor of God. Also, give back the devil's stinking thinking in exchange for the mind of Christ. First Corinthians 2.16 says, Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. He makes his mind accessible to us. So anxiety and panic attacks don't fit me anymore. I have grown into the shield of faith, and it fits in my hand just right. All right, let's look at Revelations 12, 11. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So how we overcome? Number one, we need Jesus' blood. He did that. But then what do we have to do? We have to use our mouth. Our testimony is what overcomes. Not just being quiet and letting the devil win and letting him have his way. We have to speak up. Amen. We also have to not love our lives so much that we're afraid to die. If, if the devil doesn't have that fear on us, we will overcome him. Overcoming him is more important than being alive. So, it's teamwork. Overcoming involves teamwork with Jesus, His blood, our testimony, and us realizing that life is not important, more important, or how good our life is is not more important than speaking up and overcoming Amen. the accuser. So, I'm getting to my point, slowly making, making it there. Um, so we, we can't overcome by being silent, not wanting to cause controversy or rock the boat. It's getting hot in here. I'm going to talk a little bit about what in the H-E-L-L is going on in the world. I might need another bottle of water. Okay.
Help me, Jesus. All right, well, before I get to that, I'm going to put it off a little bit longer. Okay. All right, let's get real. We're saved, and we know who we are in Christ. So why do we still have thoughts and desires that are contrary to who we are in Him? It's because we're still becoming who we are in Christ. We're being transformed, and we're renewing our minds. The Word of God washes the dirty old nastiness and fills us with living water that will begin to flow out of our bellies and influence others around us. So we're always going to continue in exchanging the old for the new. Every day, consecrate till we die. This process continues. There's always room to become more like Jesus. All right, I'm about to go out on my limb now. I'm going out on a limb for Jesus because, you know, he went to the cross for me. And so I'm going to go into a sensitive issue. But I'm on this limb and I'm not, I'm not alone. He's underneath me holding me up because he's my foundation. And everything I'm going to say can be found in the word of God. So if you believe that the, the word of God is true, that it's God's word, that he's our creator and he's the one that makes plans for us, then you won't be able to argue with, with what I'm going to say. My taboo topic is sexual sin and perversion. So if you're saved, but you're still dealing with some filthy rags of the devil's wardrobe of sexual sin, like pornography, impure thoughts, adultery, or even same-sex attraction in relationships, I have good news. And don't be worried about your little one's ears right now. Please don't be. The sooner they hear the truth, the better. Because it's better for them to hear the truth before they hear the devil's lies. And their little games on their little tablets and ads on TV shows are already putting messages into their minds. The law of first impressions is very powerful. And so we have to be quick. But the devil knows this too. So I know I'm on the sensitive subject of sexual sin, but I want to give you the good news about it. Jesus knew that we would have weakness and urges to do wrong, and he made a way for us to be forgiven and set free. So we need, I, I just want to encourage you to begin the process of deliverance with a very powerful step. Confess and repent so that you can testify and overcome. Begin exchanging the filthy clothes of sin to the righteous garments of the Messiah. You've heard that you are what you eat. Well, you are what you wear. And you may need to find someone more mature in the Lord to go to. Maybe even someone who has been delivered themselves. But if you can't find a mentor who has committed sexual sin and been delivered, you can go to someone who hasn't fallen. They have wisdom, and if it, they didn't commit a sexual sin, they were probably at one time tempted. And they have wisdom how to safeguard and prevent sin. And I'm going to give you one tip that Eric and I have used in our marriage. We have prayed together faithfully, and we pray against temptation. We, we pray the example of the Lord's prayer is to pray against temptation. And there, there is a sin pandemic of perversion in this world. And if same-sex attraction in relationship is where your weakness is, I know people who either were tempted this way, fully lived the lifestyle, and, or they were fully lived, living the lifestyle, and they came back from it delivered and helping others get delivered. And they have the hope. Some are pastors now, and most of them are married with families. But this pandemic of sexual perversion in the world, we, we have hope. We have the vaccine. It's tested and proven. It saves people. It's the healing, cleansing, powerful blood of Jesus. Our little children and young people need the truth, and the truth is stronger than the lie. The devil wants to destroy God's creation, and the purpose and plan God has for his creation. 
by perverting God's plan. God created us, so it is God who planned for a man to marry a woman. Satan particularly wants to destroy families through perversion. The way the devil sneaks in at first is through the supposedly little secret things we try to hide, like pornography. I'm going to tell you the best thing you can do if you got caught in this trap is blow the whistle on yourself because shame will keep you bound and going in the wrong direction. Confession is the start to changing your dirty clothes. I also wanted to go into another controversial concept is that some people believe that all sins are equal. Not all sin is equal. Different sins have different consequences. Just read the Bible. Some sin is punishable by death. And just, just for an example, I'll just ask you, what's worse, cheating in a board game or cannibalism? I'm going to go with cannibalism is the worst sin. Okay, having said that, however, any sin gone unchecked will progress to worse sin. So no sin is okay. Historically, the cycle of sexual perversion has progressed to bestiality, ew, and then finally cannibalism. So check yourselves and own up. Shame and denial and excuses will never free you. They will keep you in rags and chains. All right, I want to go to Acts 13, verses 6 through 12. And this example in Scripture is how to confront perversion the right way. I'm going to read it in my version. Afterwards, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor. Imagine that, somebody, a demonic spirit attaching to someone in power. The governor's name was Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him. For he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. We have to confront that. We have to confront what the devil's trying to get people to believe. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, called him out. Will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you. So I'm going to tell you, people that are pushing the wrong agenda, they need to watch out. There's judgment. And you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. But this intelligent governor is paying attention. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. All right, going back to this sensitive issue, I know that God is wanting me to speak up for such a time as this. There are a lot of very unstable and dangerous things going on in the world. And God wants me to warn people. Choose whose side you are on and whose army you are in 
because you'll have to make a stand. A stand that is not costing you anything right now, but it will very soon. God says you are for me or against me. Avoiding sensitive issues is not how to be on my side. I need you to step up and tell the truth and take background. But you have to do it the right way. You have to tell the truth in love. There is a harvest of people that just need to know the truth. Those who push the LGBTQ agenda will be judged. There are many who have been misled in this perversion and rebellion to God's plan for His own creation. They've been misled by television and social media and what is being taught in the schools. If we stay quiet, we are letting the devil have it because we just don't want to rock the boat. But what will win them back is not hate and phobia, but love and offering the truth and sowing seeds. Do it right or it won't be effective. It will be counterproductive. And if it's done right, it may not have immediate results, but seeds will still be sown. And it will be doing a work that's unseen for a time. The other thing we need to do is take back media. The airwaves are being used to promote evil. We need to take back that evil agenda with God's true agenda. But just remember, our weapon of mass destruction, what is it? Pastor Lane taught us love. But in order to do this, we must be clothed in love and have a burden for the lost and misled souls to know the truth. So what is the price? Right now, it might just make me unpopular. But very quickly, it could, be, it could move towards persecution. It could lead to job loss, imprisonment, riots, violence. We have to be prayed up and be willing to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We can't hide our hope. People need to know. The truth will offend, but we are at war with Satan. And don't be discouraged by the resistance because we are on the winning side. Just keep checking your clothes, making sure you're wearing the right clothes and armor. Things are heating up in the world, and we need to know where we stand with God and who we are and become who we are in Christ because we are what we wear. So go change your clothes. Am I on a timer? Still, okay, I'm good? No, two minutes? All right, um, I'm not going to read these um, scriptures, but if you want to know where God stands on these sensitive issues, um, I'm going to throw out some to you to write down and look up later, or you can Google because it's not hard to find these things. Leviticus 18.22, especially Jude 1.7, put a star by that one, James 4.12, 1 Corinthians 6.18, and there's a lot more. I didn't make this up. Amen. Awesome word. Okay, Pastor. Eric, it's your turn to bring another anointed, powerful word of God, and I know you've got it. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to talk to you today about um, relationship goals. And uh, it's not the same relationship goals you may be thinking about. When we've all seen pictures on Instagram and Snapchat of the people all lovey-dovey and hashtag goals. 
Uh, that's not what I'm talking about today. The, but what I am talking about, if we can grasp it, if we can get it, our marriage relationships and all of our other relationships will be better. I'm talking about the relationship with our Heavenly Father. So, this is the very thing that we were created for. God created us from the very beginning to have a relationship with us. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He spoke to many people throughout the Bible. Um, and he prophesied through people about his plan for redemption of that relationship. When sin came in the world, that relationship was broken. But from that time on, God has been wooing us back. And he's given us a plan to restore that relationship. So I'm just going to talk about a little bit how we can cultivate this relationship that God's looking for with us. And the very first step in doing that is to recognize that we need it. We are undone without God. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. Uh, let's look at Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all is sin and come short of the glory of God, but being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that's the redemption that has been foretold from Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets in the Bible, Daniel. It's foretold throughout the Bible of this redemption that God is sending to restore this relationship that He desires with us. And then Romans 3.10 says this. Chapter 3, verse 10. That is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So there's nothing that we can do in our own power to be good enough to restore this relationship. This relationship can't be restored by going to church every single Sunday, by serving in the church every single Sunday. Oh, that's great, and it's good, but that will not restore this relationship with Christ. We are, there's nobody that is righteous enough. We cannot do enough good stuff to restore that relationship. It's only through the redemption of Jesus. Then we're going to look at Isaiah 6, verse 5. And this is where we have to find ourselves. This is where we have to come to. It says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And that's the place we have to arrive to in ourselves, is woe is me, I'm unclean. I need you, God. I can't do it without you. And that's where we have to come to. And then the second step is we have to believe, confess, and repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 31. Let's go there. It says, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So the first step is to believe. Believe that he had come to this earth as a human. God from heaven came to earth for us. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead on the third day. And he's seated in heaven right now with God, interceding and cheering us on so that we can complete his good work. 
And the next step is to confess. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Uh, it says, I'll just go to it and read it so I don't mess it up from memory. Romans 10 and 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose, and then we confess it with our mouth. Because whatever's in our heart, whatever we believe, is what should be coming out of our mouth. So if we truly believe it and we confess it with our mouth, and you know that believe there, just uh, as an analogy, you know when it says in the Bible many times that the believers were there and the believers were together, the believers were all together. Well, the picture that I have in my mind that I've, I think I've heard it from somebody, I don't know if I read it or whatever, but you know the, the believers are standing out in the field, they're working, the Roman soldiers arrive, and they said, who's a believer here? And I'm a believer. And he runs his spear through him. And then when he asked the next one, who's a believer here? That second person that says, I'm a believer, that guy believes. Okay? And that's what he's talking about here. That's the depth of belief that he's talking about here. True belief. Not just, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, whatever. But it's belief, faith in him, trusting in him. And the third step of this believe, confess, repent is to repent. And that's found in Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19. This is just one place that I looked up. It's found all through the Bible, but this is just the one place I looked up. <laughs> repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. That word repent is to change your mind. And Stephanie and I didn't, we didn't converse what we were going to talk about, but change your mind, like change your clothes. It's the same thing. Change your mind. Turn from the sin and turn to God is repentance. That's a big step, though, is turning to God. Because if we just try to turn from sin on our own strength, we just keep turning, we keep turning, we keep turning, eventually we end up back at the sin. So we have to replace it with the truth of God. So we turn from the sin we turn to the truth of God. And then the third step in this, uh, how to cultivate the, the uh, relationship with God is surrender. And this, this is the key step. Once we've believed and we've confessed, once we've accepted Christ and we know that we need him, now we have to surrender our all to him. And that surrender is Barak, which we've heard Pastor Lane say that 100,000 times. But it's true. It's a kneeling yourself to God and blessing him and returning all the glory to him. Um, but it's to deny self. Jesus requires us to deny ourself. And that's uh, Matthew 16, 24. I've got a lot of scriptures today. I like the word to preach because it's the best preacher. <laughs> Matthew 16:24 Then said Jesus unto his disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me So this is a daily thing this is not a one time thing when we get saved Surrender is not becoming born again Surrender is a daily cultivating and dying to self and putting on Jesus, like Stephanie was talking about, changing your clothes. That goes right along with what I'm talking about. I didn't know that, but it's a dying to yourself daily and becoming alive in him and taking up your cross and following him every day. Uh, and the next point of this is resist the devil. You know, that's the part everybody hears. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Just resist him, he'll flee. But they forget the very first part of that. Submit to God, 
resist the devil and he will flee. If we try to resist the devil just on our own without submitting to God and being in that surrendered state with God, the devil's going to laugh at us and he's going to have our junk. Okay? We've got to submit to God first. Then we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. But if we're trying to do it in our own power, it's just going to end up bad. Um, and I'm going to read that. It's uh, James 4, 7, and 8. see here. There we go. My eyes are getting worse. I think I've hit the 40-year-old age. <laughs> uh, James 4, 7, and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That uh, phrase, draw nigh to God, um, that's a picture of the prodigal son. That's kind of all of this together. Drawn out of God is to recognize that, hey, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it. I believe that you can. So now I'm going to surrender to you and draw nigh unto you. And God will meet you right where you are. He'll draw nigh to you. And he'll lift you up. Um, we have to seek him first. That's the next step of surrender. Is seeking him first in everything. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek him first in everything. That's not just the big things. That's not just, do I need to move to the girls' ranch? Or do I need to move to Nicaragua? Do I need to move to Mexico? Yeah, seek him in those things. But it's, do I need to go to the grocery store right now? It's, do I need to make this turn? Seek him first. Always be aware and attentive of what God is speaking, because he's always speaking. He's always speaking. And just be aware of his presence in our lives, seeking him first in everything, even the little things. Um, and then the next step of surrender is worship. God has called us to worship him. And, you know, some people don't like to worship. They, they just, it's uncomfortable um, to worship in front of people. It's, it's awkward. Um, I'm a big guy. You know, it, it looks funny when I start jumping up and down and worshiping. <laughs> but God has called us to worship. And, you know, if you don't jump up and down before God, that, that may not be your style of worship. And I believe people can worship in all different kinds of styles. But the thing is, God has called us to worship in spirit and in truth. And that's the main point. Is, is your heart, is your heart right that you're worshiping him in spirit and in truth? And uh, that's uh, found in John 4, 21, where the Samaritan woman is talking about worship, and Jesus said there'll be a time when we worship him in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where you worship. It's just in spirit and in truth. And that's the main point of that. Um, and the second step, of, uh, the next step of surrender is prayer. And prayer is a two-way communication with God. It's not a genie in a bottle. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, I need this. That's not, that's not prayer. That's, that's expressing your desires to somebody. But prayer is two-way communication. It's you speaking and then listening for what God wants you to speak. And then God says he'll give you whatever you ask when you ask my will. And how do we know his will if we don't listen? If we just sit there constantly talk all the time, we'll never know his will. So it's two-way communication. Um, and there's several examples of Jesus going off on his own and praying. If Jesus needed it, Lord knows I need it. Okay? We have to have time where we surrender ourselves alone with God and pray. Um, Mark 135, Mark 646, and many others, Jesus went off alone and prayed. And usually... It was after something big happened in his life or right before something big happened in his life um, was when he would go off and pray. The examples we have in the Bible, I'm sure he did even more than what we have in the Bible. But he instructs us to do the same. Um, when his disciples ask him how to pray and he goes through the Lord's 
prayer and um, all that, he, he instructs his disciples, don't do it like the Pharisees who go out in public and cry and wail and, and make all this show, but go into your closet and pray alone with God the Father. And so he instructs us to do this. He, he, uh, he gave us an example of it, and he instructs us to do the same. Um, and another example in the Bible is the believers fasted and prayed and sending off Barnabas and Saul. Let's go to Acts 13, 2 and 3. This is just some examples of uh, two-way communication. Acts 13, chapter 2, I mean, Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. It says, as they ministered to the Lord... They worshiped, they bowed, they surrendered, they barocked before the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So that's the two-way communication. We surrender to the Lord, we barock before him, we ask him, we pray before him, he's going to speak to us. And he's going to give us the answer that we need. And like Pastor Fran, uh, I think it was Pastor Fran that prophesied today, sometimes that answer is not what we want to hear. Sometimes it's no. Uh, but that's part of it. It's always in our best interest if we will listen and obey. And step four in cultivating this relationship with God is renewing our minds. You know, like Stephanie said, this is a vital part in our walk with God. And uh, Ephesians 5.26 gives us an example of how to do this. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So, renewing your mind by the washing of water and the word. And a lot of times when the Bible talks about the water, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So, it's the Holy Spirit working in our life through the word of God that he's given us and speaks to us. And it's us washing ourselves with that constantly. And then Romans... Oh, uh, let's go to John 17, 17 and find out exactly what the word is. Romans, uh, John, sorry, get ahead of myself. John chapter 17, verse 17. And it says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So this is a process of sanctification through the truth, which is the word. So it's a process, and it's something we need to be doing daily. And this goes back to repentance, which is changing our mind. If we don't have something else in our mind, there's nothing we can change it to. If all we're doing is putting the world, the world, the world, the world, the culture, everything that's going on in this life around us, that's all we're putting in our mind, there's nothing to change to. So we have to renew our minds daily and put the word in so that we have something to change to. And that's the truth is the word. Um, I'm going to close with some of the words that Jesus spoke as he was expressing his desire to the Father for this relationship. And, you know, he, he wants an intimate and personal relationship with you. Each and every single one of us, individual. And this is found in John 17, verses uh, 20 through 26. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It'll be up here in King James, I think, but...
And Jesus had just finished praying for the disciples, and now he starts praying for each and every one of us. And he says, I ask not only for these disciples, but also for all those who will one day believe in me through their message. That's us, if you didn't understand that. (laughs) I pray for them all to be joined together as one, even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognize that you sent me. For the very glory you have given me, I have given them so that they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them so that they will experience perfect unity and the world will be convinced that you have sent me. For they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Father, I ask that you allow everyone that you have given to me to be with me wherever I am. Then they will see my full glory, the very splendor you have placed upon me because you have loved me even before the beginning of time. You are my righteous Father, but the unbelieving world has never known you in the perfect way that I know you. And all those who believe in me also know that you have sent me. I have revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them even as I live in them. That's Jesus begging his father Allow them to have that relationship that I have. He's beckoning you. He wants a relationship with you. It's personal. It's intimate. It's not this far distant thing off in the way over there yonder. It's personal. It's intimate. It's close. He wants to have it with you. If you need that today, if you need that relationship, if you... At the first step, you haven't believed, you haven't recognized yet that you need it. Or if you, at the second step, where you believed, you confessed, and you repented, but you need to dive deeper. If you need that full surrender, if you need to renew your mind daily, sanctify yourself with the Word. I invite you to come to Jesus today. Don't wait. Whatever step you're in, dive deeper with Him. He's beckoning you. He's calling you to dive deeper with him. And I love y'all, and I I pray the same thing for y'all and for all of us. In Jesus' name.